Obviously, you need both nostrils to play, but I'm hard-headed, so I didn't want to do it at the time. I didn't feel like it was the right time to do it, so I just figured a different way until I got a chance to do it, so that's how I played for four years. I made it work. I didn't do that bad. I was still an all-star. I was still all-NBA. I made certain things work, but this season was probably my toughest breathing year for me. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and you can find me on Twitter at redrock underscore bball and on Instagram at the same and facebook.com slash redrockbasketball. Today we're going to be delving into the season in review series once again and tackling the disappointing Detroit Pistons, a team that uh, obviously tasted the playoffs in 2015-16 and wasn't able to get back there this season um, is there hope for them to bounce back and especially some of their players that had some down years we'll get into that and talk about it as we go through the show so let's get to it to it let's get to it indeed we'll start off just by having a, a look back at the entirety of the team as we do in all these shows the, the Pistons finished with a 37 and 45 record and there was some hope that the Pistons could maybe push to 50 wins this season maybe push to be a top four seed Obviously, that didn't happen. The injury to Reggie Jackson really set things back. And even when, I guess, he went out, there was hope that, okay, let's just keep it steady for this first yeah, month of the season. And then when Reggie comes back, we'll push forward. But Jackson was obviously never the same. And it impacted the entirety of the team. There was lots of curious um uh, coaching moves, coaching decisions, as well as uh, just weird play on the court that contributed to a, a season which was uh, largely for- forgettable for Pistons fans. They underperformed their expected win total by just one win, so no great uh, uh, yeah, season of unluckiness or or luckiness, to be honest. It was just, uh, as it was, a, a disappointing year. As a reward for this disappointing year, the Pistons end up with the 12th pick in the draft. Obviously, nothing too sexy there. In that pick, um, there's, there's obviously numerous ways that they can go. Do they look for another backup big, a guy like a John Collins, maybe Zach Collins if he doesn't go uh, to Charlotte where I think he will go, maybe a player like Luke Kennard uh, as a shooter for this team as they were they were quite bad in, uh, in most of their shooting metrics for the majority of this season. Not that he's got a, a massive upside, but he could be a player that does help out. Uh, for this team along the wings, especially if they don't have any intention of bringing back Kentavious Caldwell Pope. Although I do expect that to, uh, I, I expect that there's no, no danger of him going anywhere else, but a guy like Kennard could be an option, of course, if any of those point guards slip, uh, you know, Dennis Smith, um, Nilakina, any of those guys slip, I'd, I'd be all over those, but I really don't see any of them being able to make their way down to pick 12, which is where the Pistons pick. They don't have any second rounders either. In terms of free agency, the one guy or the major guy here we're looking at, of course, is Contavious Caldwell Pope, who's a restricted free agent this coming off season. He is going to get pretty big uh, offers. I would, I would think that the Pistons match those no matter what, because even if they, even if they don't match it and let KCP walk, they're not in a position to attract replacements for him. They have got these long-term deals on mediocre to above average players and they're pretty locked in much like um we talked about with the pelicans the other day like they could let drew holiday go but they can't make any even if they do they don't have the cap space to actually make a splash and acquire anyone and getting someone to detroit is never uh never an easy process to begin with so depending on what sort of offer he gets his max is about 25 million i don't think anyone's giving him 25 but getting 20 or 21 is definitely a possible possibility he could easily get 25 and i think the pistons match it in 99 times out of 100 maybe 999 times out of a thousand i feel fairly confident that contavious Caldwell pope will remain in detroit for the next four seasons maybe five seasons if they come to an agreement before he signs an offer sheet somewhere else the other free agency decisions that they have to make, well, they don't have to make an Aaron Baines free agency decision because he has a player option, so it's his decision. It's for $6.5 million. The Pistons are expecting him not to take that, but that's, I think, uh, wishful thinking on their behalf. They've signed Bobar Marjanovic to take that role next season. And as you see, we talk a bit a bit later, Baines had some really impressive um, advanced numbers this season and, and did his thing when he needed to. Whether he can get out there and find himself like a three-year, $15 million deal, 
remains to be seen. But if he does, he's going to be a, a better option there in the Pistons. If he does opt out of that player option, the Pistons won't be looking to re-sign Aaron Baines. I'm pretty confident with that. But he could always opt in and, and stick there one more year. The other decisions they have, Benno Udry is a unrestricted free agent. He uh, he His best contribution for the season was probably having a, a top five worst haircut in the NBA, and he consistently had that throughout the season, the old, uh, the old dyed blonde uh, ponytail that he was uh, rocking, which is absolutely horrendous. Benno, bring that back, and uh, you can come onto my team, no worries. Reggie Bullock is a restricted free agent. I'm not sure what to make of Bullock. Um, they've got this bunch of uh, backup shooting guard wing players who all look okay but never look spectacular with him, Darren Hilliard and Mike Binaje, who uh, who both uh, Hilliard and uh, and Binaje both have um, non-guaranteed deals for next season. I like Hilliard and Bullock the best out of those two, although Binaje, obviously just a rookie and barely played with that foot problem in his first year. He's a guy that can handle the ball. I would expect Hilliard and, uh, and Binaje to come back. Bullock, I'm not so certain of. He's always seemingly dealing with knee problems. There were times when he started games you know, over over players like Stan Johnson, who we thought that Johnson might get the nod when there were injuries to Caldwell Pope, but Bullock got some of those starts, and I thought he looked okay in that time as a three-point shooter. In terms of his fantasy value, it's not going to change no matter no matter where he goes, and Hilliard and, and Binajay are obviously just deeper league guys that aren't going to have too much impact, but we'll talk about them a little bit later. If you look at this team now in a bit more detail, their offense struggled. They were 24th in offensive rating, 8th in defensive rating, so that's something they could hang their hat on, but <clears throat> but their offense was a real struggle for the majority of the season, and in large part due to these two numbers. They were 30th in free throw rate, so that's the ability to draw free throws, and 27th in three-point attempt rate. So they weren't drawing free throws, an efficient way of scoring. They weren't attempting threes, another good way of scoring. So they were trying to do it on uh, on regular two-pointers. And uh, thanks to uh, Duncan Smith, the new host of the Locked On Pistons podcast, he dug up this stat that the Detroit Pistons shot 36.8% on their spot-up jumpers this season. And that's horrible. If any player was shooting 36.8% on spot-up jumpers, they'd be ranked in the 29th percentile in the NBA, meaning that there would be 71% of the players better than them. But this is not a player. This is an entire team. That's how bad they were. Only two players shot above that 36.8. It was Marcus Morris and Tobias Harris. So they couldn't. They didn't take their threes. They didn't get to the line. And they couldn't hit any jumpers. So that's uh, that, that was a problem for this team. They were also second last in free throw percentage, of course. Uh, a big reason for that is Andre Drummond. But they did, uh, they did do well in some other areas. 12th in offensive rebounding percentage, a large part due to Drummond, and they had the best defensive rebounding percentage in the entire NBA. So not allowing those second chance points, it kept them competitive in games. Where they are, the other things that they were, they, um, were high up in second in the NBA in two point attempts, and that correlates with that 27th in three point attempt rate. They took the most field goal attempts in the entire NBA but they were 26th in points scored. And that is a huge, huge discrepancy. And again, that comes down to not getting to the line and not taking high-value shots like three-pointers. And that when you take more shots than anybody else and you only score more points than four teams, that is something that really does need to be addressed. So all those things tie in. And that's a coaching thing. It's a player thing. It's a shot selection thing. There's things that they need to work on. And I'm sure that Stan Van Gundy is aware of that and will be looking to change that uh, as the off-season rolls around. If you look at the best offensive ratings on the team, I don't think anyone would be surprised. Or maybe they would. But Boban Marjanovic had the highest offensive rating on this team. This is just what he does. Puts up bonkers advanced numbers in his limited minutes in his first two seasons in uh, San Antonio and Detroit. Aaron Baines was second. Toby Harris was third. And uh, the tackle box, John Lua, was fourth in offensive rating. Best defensive rating, Andre Drummond had a, a defensive rating of 99, which is really super impressive. Boban second, Bainesy third, and Stan Johnson four. So you see a lot of the big men there, Boban, Boban, Baines, and Drummond in both of those. Well, uh, good to see Stan Johnson at least doing something because his offensive game was horrendous for most of the year. They had five blokes shoot over 40% on threes. They just needed to take more of them, obviously. Benno, KCP, Marcus Morris, Ish Smith, which is a, a huge thing for Ish Smith and Reggie Bullock. Henry Allenson, who was the team's first-round draft choice last season, he was the stretch four 
for this team, you know, that guy to come and play that Van Gundy, Ryan Anderson role, he shot 17% on corner threes. That uh, that obviously needs to change. He's not going to be able to live as a as a stretch four hitting 17%. Impressively, Toby Harris was 70% at the rim. That's a good number. While Reggie Jackson, with his knee bothering him, just 50% of the rim. And a quarter of his shots came at the rim. So that, that does account for, you know, these poor field goal percentages for the team and for Jackson's inefficiency as a whole. He was assisted on a unbelievably low 7% of his two-point attempts, Reggie Jackson. That is incredulously low. The fact that the only shots that he were taking were the ones that he was dribbling the ball. He wasn't able to spot up anywhere. He wasn't, there was, and that, that, that's on him, but it's also on this team that nobody in this team can pass really, apart from him, Harris, Morris, KCP. It, there's no good passes really. Uh, Drummond, they're, they're, okay, KCP improved as a passer. Harris has a little bit, but they're not good ball movers. They're not good passers. So that's on Jackson for taking bad shots, and it's also on the way this team's constructed. There's there's no secondary ball handler. There's no tertiary ball handler in the majority of their lineup, so that enabled Jackson to be just 7%. For comparison, Contavious Coyle Pope was 53% assisted on his two-point attempt rate. Let's look at the leaders in the advanced numbers. Boban, of course, led the team in PER. That's, this is what he does. 29.6 in his limited minutes, and he also led in true shooting at 60.6%. Reggie Jackson led in usage at 26.5, while win shares was uh, Toby Harris, and Boban had the win shares per 48 at a monster 028 Offensive box score plus minus, no real surprise that it's Toby Harris. Defensive was Drummond at 2.9, and Harris led the team in overall box score plus minus at 1.2, and in Vorp at 2.1, and he was a guy which we'll talk about in a sec, that I really don't like the way that uh, Stan Van Gundy used him for majority of the season. They had six lineups go over 100 minutes, and three of those go over 300. So that's that's good keeping... Um, yeah, you know, I guess keeping the players who uh, are going to be productive together. I'm always a fan of that sort of thing. Their most used lineup. I don't think there's. <clears throat> I don't think it'd be much surprised to see that it's KCP, Drummond, Harris, Morris, and Ish Smith who started for the beginning of the season with Jackson out, and then took over for Jackson at the end of the year when he was uh, struggling, and then out of the lineup. That was a negative 7.3, though, so that wasn't ideal. That same lineup with Jackson in there instead of Smith was the second most used lineup, and that was a negative 10.2, so Smith working with those starters was a little bit more effective than what Reggie was. Their best lineup over 100 minutes was that same starting lineup, KCP, Harris, Morris, Ish Smith, but Aaron Baines in over Andre Drummond, and that was a plus 12.7. Very, very interesting that their best lineup had Baines in over Drummond. And you see when we look at on-off numbers, how badly Drummond struggled this season. Their most used four-man, no no surprises here, KCP, Harris, Morris, and Drummond, and that was a negative 9.2. While their best four-man, very similar to the best five-man, Bainesy, KCP, Harris, and Smith as a massive plus 17.2. These You see these lineups with Drummond, there's lots of negatives. Best three-man. Harris, Morris, and Smith, plus 1.4. Most used three-man, KCP, Drummond, and Morris, minus 8.6. Big differences. The most used two-man, KCP and Drummond, minus 8. The best two-man, Baines and Harris, 7.7. So you see a very common theme that when Drummond was on the court, he struggled. He was, uh, he wasn't the major, he wasn't the only factor, but he was a big factor in terms of this team getting beaten at times. Not blaming anything, not blaming at all on him, but he didn't have a good year. And Baines was able to play better than him at times in limited minutes. And he, Baines is not a better player. That is not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying that they should be trading Drummond and you know, re-signing Baines to make sure he stays and starts. It's none of that. But it's just that for this season, the way that Drummond was used, the way that he played, all those factors adding in, it was not successful. And it was a, it was a big deal. Out of the top 20 most used lineups, Reggie Jackson appeared in four of those. Now, he he did miss time, obviously, with injury, so he wasn't in many of those two-man lineups, but he was in four of them, four of the top 20 most used two-man lineups. They were ranked 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th in terms of of net rating. So he, he stunk. I think, that, I think that's a, that's where we go. That he just was bad for the majority of this season and was a, a, a real disappointment for uh, for most of the year. All right, let's uh, let's go in and start talking about these players. They didn't have a top 50 fantasy player for this season. Um, 
and that's uh, mainly because of the struggles of uh, of guys like Jackson and Drummond. But Jackson, or not Jackson, Drummond is one of those guys who is really impacted by that negative free throw percentage. So as an overall eight cat value, he was the seventy first ranked player. He played thirty minutes a game, thirteen and a half points, fourteen boards, an assist, one and a half steals, one point one blocks, fifty three percent from the field, and an absolutely disgusting thirty nine percent from the line on four point four attempts. It's fall at JCPenney. Time to refresh your closet. This Thursday through Monday, get Levi's lowest prices of the season on 514 straight fit jeans for guys, $36.99. And select Arizona booties for her for $35.99. Plus, save an additional 50% off clearance prices already reduced by 60 to 80%. And get an extra $10 off with your coupon. Hurry in now. JCPenney. From valid 10, 5 to 10, 9. Levi's and other brands excluded from coupon. Clearance selections vary by store while supplies last. Savings off regular and original prices. Intermediate markdowns may have been taken. See store or jcp.com for details. Season of first 927 to 1018. When you look at that, though, that's actually an improvement. He was at 36% last year and took an extra three attempts per game. So in terms of what that standard score was, last year it was a negative 6.42. This year, a negative 4.66. So it's still unrecoverable from. You can't win that category on a consistent basis with Drummond in your team. But it wasn't as bad as what it has been. But in the end, that doesn't matter. When you're at, when you get into negative four, it doesn't matter if you're at negative four or negative thirty. You're just not winning that category, so you just get rid of it and you obviously punt it. So that that does skew his ranking. So that's why, and part of the reason I, I decided to start looking at my eight minus two head to head rankings is is to eliminate this sort of stuff. And Drummond's rankings change a lot. So he was the the seventieth ranked player. Sorry, seventy first ranked player in that overall value in my head to head ranks. Twenty third. Now, in the past, he'd been a top 10 guy in those ranks, you know, 10, 8, 9, 11, that sort of a zone. Uh, well, actually, last season, he was 15th. So it was a bit of a, a, a drop-off in those numbers for, for Drummond. But still, if you're discounting free throw percentage, he is right up there as being that player that you can grab in that second or third round. He suffered a big slump post-All-Star, went from 18th pre to 46th post um, averaged just 11 points in 28 minutes, still had the almost 14 boards, but his block rate dropped, his, uh, and his steals were still at that one, 1.1 mark, and his free throws got worse somehow, 26.6%. I'm still on the 4.4 attempts, but that is a horrendous, horrendous amount of, uh, of free throws being hit, but his scoring did drop in that second half of the season as his, uh, as his field goal attempts dipped. If we want to look at what, you know, Drummond, it was a big, it was not a great year for him. Um, left three less minutes a game, which I thought was somewhat surprising. And I guess part of that goes to the fact that he was a team worst on off minus 12. That is a big, big, big number to, for the team to be 12 points per 100 possessions better off with him on the bench is huge. He saw his, um, he saw his scoring rate dip. He went from 17.7 to 16.5 points per 36. Well, that's not a massive dip. It is a dip. Um, but most of his other things stayed relatively similar. Rebound rate, he increased it by a half. He increased his assists by 0.4. His steals increased by 0.3 and his drop, blocks dropped by 0.2. A, a slight increase in his field goal percentage up from 52 to 53 as well. And that saw his true shooting rise from just under 50 to just under 52. So overall, he was, I guess, relatively consistent in, in fantasy production. Um, just at those three minutes less a game did really hurt that overall playing time. And the three minutes less were due to the fact that he sucked for lots of, lots of stretches, especially with the, the, some of the defensive stuff. And that enabled that, um, that enabled that really poor on off number that we see from Drummond. So if you own Drummond, you are punting free throws. I, I don't care if you don't punt free throws, you are punting free throws. You, you cannot escape that. You cannot recover from that. You need you know, three James Hardens to be able to put yourself into an above average position <clears throat> in free throws. And you, there obviously aren't three James Hardens around. You just, and look, on a, on a week to week basis, maybe you win free throw percentage and that, that would be a bonus because maybe Drummond plays two games and he has a, a, a stretch where he goes, you know, five of, nine in those two games cool doesn't we're looking at a 23 week 24 week season just because okay you can occasionally win it doesn't mean that it's going to happen or it's something that you can bank on as a as a general rule you're losing free throw percentage but the um 
the difference in, in how much you lose a buy does depend on how much volume there is and how often the Drummond plays, but you should never bank on that as a, as a winnable category. If he is on, on your team, you just can't, you just can't uh, deal with that. Part of my criticisms with Drummond is laziness. That was him talking at the start of the show about his nostrils needing an operation so he could breathe. Hopefully that fixes him up. But also some of it is on Van Gundy. I didn't like, I haven't liked the way Van Gundy has used Drummond in his seasons there. The three seasons in Detroit, They've tried to turn Drummond into a post player, a back to the basket player, and it doesn't work. He's not good at it. He hasn't gotten better at it. What's the point of this? He has taken in Van Gundy's three seasons more shots per game, an extra three shots per game in those three years, but he's seen his field goal percentage drop from 62% to 51, 52, and 53. That's a big, big dip in efficiency. He was a 60% true shooting guy before Van Gundy arrived. The highest he's gotten so far was this year, which was 51.8. That's a real big drop in efficiency. And while, yeah, you you want to develop his post game, that's three years. It's not happening. It's not developing. The post, what, what teams rely on post play anyway? None. So you're trying to develop something in someone who can't do it, a skill that is not valuable as much in the NBA anymore. You just need to play pick and rolls. You need to play to drum and strength. Oops, dump offs. Let him do his stuff on the offensive board, putbacks, that sort of stuff. Rather than a, let's give it into him, he'll take a couple of dribbles, and he'll stuff it up. I understand you do the experiment for a year, but for three years, it hasn't worked. Has it improved? It barely. It's it's bad coaching, in my opinion, to persist with this and persist with this game style with him when um, the evidence is there that, A, it's not working, and a different type of play style has worked. And that's, that's how, that's one of the criticisms that I've had of Van Gundy with, is his use of Drummond over the time. The other thing that Drummond needs to do is get his shot blocking back 1.6, 1.9, and 1.4 over the past three years, just 1.1 this season. So a big drop off in those shot blocking. Maybe that's to do with the minutes drop. Maybe that's to do with the not being able to breathe. He needs to bring that back. But what he is, is an elite source of steel. So don't be writing him off. I still think that he can be that top 20 head to head type of a player. I don't think you'd ever take him in the second round. You won't need to. He's more of going to be a third or fourth round guy. Well, that's totally fine. But just realize that when you're doing it, I don't care if you drafted James Harden at pick one. I don't care if you drafted Russell Westbrook or Kevin Durant. Once you draft Andre Drummond, you are punting free throws, and then you are wasting that category from those guys. There's no balancing it out. It doesn't get balanced. You you can't do it, so just always be in it. We'll talk about that more as we head into the preseason, as always. Toby Harris. Again, another player that I didn't like the way that Van Gundy handled him necessarily for the the whole season. He played 82 games and started 48 of them. And a lot of the time, I don't really care about who starts as long as they play the minutes, but you know, Toby didn't play enough minutes. The tackle box, John Lua started over him, and let's be honest, Lua wasn't great. He had a couple of decent games, but he was not good for the majority of the season. And Harris was clearly good. He was better than Drummond. He was better than Jackson. He was their best player, I'd say, for the majority of this season. Now, he's nothing special. He's not spectacular. He's not going to develop into an all-star or a a great player, Harris. But when he's the best player on your team and the guy starting in front of him, like the tackle box, is playing terribly, and that is also limiting Harris's minutes. So instead of him playing 33, 34, he's playing 29. That's a problem. In my opinion, Harris was 2.4 points positive in the on-off metric um, and ended the season as the 76th ranked player. He also had a drop-off post-All-Star. His head-to-head rank went from 91 to 145, and you can see he's probably a little bit of a worse head-to-head guy than a Roto guy. Again, that's that's based on the way that I do those numbers and the fact that he's like a solid or average contributor in most categories without having any real standout. In fact, his highest Z score in a category is his field goal or his free throw percentage at 0.37. So never not really moving the needle in any area, but just keeping it nice and steady right across the board. His biggest negative was his steals at negative 0.59. So really keeping it all around average in every category. He averaged 16 and 5, 1.3 triples, 1.7 assists, 0.7 steals, and half a block on 48 and 84 with 35% from three. It doesn't get more average than that. And that's why that Toby Harris is that guy that you can be picked in those middle rounds. And maybe he's got some upside to become a top 60, a top 55 guy if he played 33, 34 minutes instead of 31 or 30. But will will Van Gundy do that? Will he decide that, you know, 
using John Lua over him is not the best idea because it wasn't it wasn't a good idea for the majority of this season. Now Harris, after the All Star break, led the team in scoring fifteen point seven points, one and a half threes, and all these other numbers were, were pretty much exactly spot on. It's just that the other players uh, dropped off a little bit. In fact, he led the team in scoring for the entirety of the season, and just was another player that I did not. I wasn't a massive fan of the way that he was used by Van Gundy just because of the uh, guy that was replacing him was bad, and that was the tackle box. Catavius Kowal-Pope, 116th for the season. He played 76 games, 33 minutes a game, and averaged 13.8 points. Two triples, three and a half boards, two and a half assists, 1.2 steals, 40% from the field, 83% from the line, and 35% from three. There is nothing in those numbers that you look at and go, you know what, this guy is a max star, because he's not. Simple as that, but... This is the environment that we're in, a guy that can uh, play some pretty good defense and have some success against point guards and be able to switch onto ones and twos, has value. Uh, He can hit his threes. He doesn't do it efficiently, but he can hit them 35% this year. He hit just 31 last season. But overall, I just feel like his game didn't take a big step. He played less minutes this year after playing 37 the year before, just 33 this year, and averaged almost those 14 points, which was down from 14 and a half last year. But that's actually a little bit more efficient in playing that uh, smaller playing time. The other impressive thing about Corwell Pope's game from this year is he's increased his ball handling and assist rate. I talked about this team not having a secondary ball handler, and that's true. But he took his assist rate up from uh, 1.8 to 2.7. So that's a 50% increase on his assist rate. So that's a, that's a start. And for a guy that's such a good defender, it doesn't always translate into big steal numbers. 1.2 steals is fine. It's It's above average. But it's definitely nothing to write home about. We're not talking about a 1.7, 1.8 steel guy, which would, which would very clearly elevate him into like a top 70 conversation. As for Corwell Pope, his biggest contribution is in three pointers and it's in steals. Now you can get threes in numerous areas. You know, guys like the Duke Wayne Ellington can give you two threes a game, but getting that with a high free throw percentage and those steals, that is what gives KCP that value. But he's nothing more than a late round pick, in my opinion. I don't really ever see him developing his rebounding or his assists or getting those steals up to close to two a game to be that elite type of player. He is heading into his fifth season. You would have hoped that last year he could have taken that step forward, but that obviously didn't happen. And he's got... uh He's just going to sort of settle in that zone and be one of those guys that you can take late, but the upside there is also, uh, I guess, relatively limited because we've seen it for, you know, especially the last uh, last two years or last three years. This is uh, this is basically who he is, and there's been some marginal increases, especially in the assist rate. But to expect that to jump too much higher, I don't think you should. Reggie Jackson. Um, yeah, this was really bad for Jackson. He was, uh, he was almost a team worst in on off at negative 11.3. Thankfully, Drummond had the negative 12 to save him from that ignominy. He was really poor this season. He was 65th in head to head rankings last season, 124th this year, but it's not without reason. It's not without an excuse. He played only 52 games and 27 minutes a game. So there is a couple of built-in excuses as it is. Now, Van Gundy has always been, and something I have criticized him for numerous times, a guy that just don't doesn't play his point guard minutes. He played under 31 minutes a game last year. He's got this theory in his head that starting point guards play 30 minutes. And I don't know why that is. It doesn't make sense. He did it the year before when you had absolutely garbage coming off the bench behind Reggie Jackson. And you had, they had one of the worst point guard situations in the NBA last season. But still, no, nah, let's only give him the 30 minutes because we've got to make sure that our starting point guard only plays 30 minutes. And that makes absolutely no sense to me. If he's your better player, and he wasn't this year, but this is just a Van Gundy mindset. Another thing, you know, I like Van Gundy. I think he's a pretty good coach, but he has made some curiously bad decisions over the over the course of his tenure here. The 27 minutes a game is is even less than that 30 because of the knee injury, because he was limited to start off, and then he never got right. Um, and he was bad because of it. He couldn't get into rhythm. He, as you saw before, 7% of his shots were assisted. He was hogging the ball. His teammates started to hate him. There was lots of reports of him being uh, quite a negative influence and him being uh, somewhat of a knob for the majority of the season. And he was playing like he wasn't injured, but he was. He was playing like he had alt last season's form, but he was nowhere near that, taking ill-advised shots all the time. He averaged 14.5 points, 1.3 triples, 
Two boards, 5.2 assists, as per usual, doesn't block any shots and is really poor on the steals with 0.7. But he saw his field goal percentage drop down to 42 and his three-point percentage was was decent at 36%, but an overall true shooting drop of 2.5% down to 51 but his per 36 scoring dropped quite a bit, and so his assist rate dropped a little bit as well. But I don't think you can criticize the assist rate too much there in those limited minutes. The per 36s went from 7.3 down to 6.8, so it's not a massive, massive drop in that assist rate. It's more the fact that the shots didn't fall, and he took less of them as well, um, which I guess he, he should have taken less of them given the... um given the nature of how badly he was playing and some of his decision-making was poor. Now, I said this many times during the season, Ishmith is not good. He had a pretty decent season, but he's not good. He's also got no upside, and he's not taking this team anywhere. We'll talk about Smith a little bit later. So I don't think, to me, I don't think there's any concern of Smith starting the season over Jackson next year. I have, I'm not worried about that at all. I think that Jackson looks for a bounce back with a full off-season recovery from this knee injury, and I think that he will be closer to 2015-16 Jackson than what we saw in 16-17. So a player that should be a comfortable top 100 guy and should be a player that is a top 70 guy, but the the Van Gundy handbrake is always there, and that handbrake is don't play over 30 minutes. And it's frustrating because if he played 35 minutes, he could be a top 50 player. I don't think there's any doubt in that. He could be a guy that averaged 18 and 7 if he played 35 minutes, and that would be useful. Now, he's also limited not only by Van Gundy, by the fact that he just gets no steals whatsoever, and he is a lowish field goal percentage guy. But I'd be I'd be more than happy taking him in the top 100 at the back end of it. Get yourself a couple of rounds discount based on how bad he was. You, like, I don't know where he's going to fall, but you could easily see him falling to an ADP of 100, 110. And I'd be more than happy to take him. I don't believe, unless in that time frame, Van Gundy comes out and says, is Smith starting for us? I, I would disagree with it, but that wouldn't be the first time I've disagreed with Van Gundy starting decisions. Then I could see you. Uh, I could see Reggie, you know, struggling in that case. But I think that he does bounce back and puts together another top 100 season. So there's never been a better time to acquire him in dynasty leagues. He's never going to be great. He's never going to be a top 40 guy, a top 30 guy, and no, never going to sniff the top 20. But he's going to be better than last season. I feel pretty good about uh, about saying that. Marcus Morris. He was the 156th ranked player this year. He played 79 games in 33 minutes a game. 14 points, four and a half boards, one and a half threes, two dimes, 0.7 steals, 42, 78, and 33. Below average efficiency numbers from Marcus. He had true shooting of under 51%. He's just average. The the season before, he surprised us all. His first one in Detroit, he came out, played 36 minutes a game, and finished the season 115th. And that was the concern we had with Morris, that he took a shitload of minutes to even just be considered ownable. And if he was going to see less minutes, which we thought he would, because I expected Stanley Johnson to take a step forward, which obviously didn't happen, and I thought that that might be the, the way that Morris is limited. Morris is an okay player. He is not a good player. He is not a player that should be a starting piece of a very good team, but the Pistons aren't a very good team. I think that you're going to see his numbers stay very similar to what we saw last year, unless, uh, and they could dip if Stan Johnson does take a step forward. And I'm actually having a little bit of a hope, a little bit of hope for Johnson at the moment. Hopefully he can uh, get things turned around. But Morris is just sort of who he is, a guy that I don't think that I would pick in 12 team leagues. I don't, there's definitely no upside in picking a guy like Marcus Morris. He was 203rd post All-Star, 156th pre-All-Star. That's 14-team leagues. That's 16-team leagues. That's sort of where he sits. He doesn't give you any big boost in any one category. He's just mediocre in every one. The team was 2.8 points per 100 possessions better off with Marcus Morris on the bench. So, you know, well, it's not as big a deal as the negative 11 for Reggie, the negative 12 for Drummond, or the negative 6 for KCP. It's still obviously not a positive. The only one of their starters that was a positive was Toby Harris, who was a positive 2.4 in those on-off numbers. I just, I, I don't see it for Marcus Morris moving forward. I think that Stan should be looking to take that role off him, whether he does or not remains to be seen, or do they move Toby Harris there and maybe get a little bit more out of the tackle box, or maybe Henry Allenson takes a step forward? I doubt it. I think the more likely scenario is Johnson steps forward, but we're still a little bit away from that, even if Johnson doesn't and Morris starts the season and starts the entirety of the season playing 30-plus minutes. 
he is not going to be a real a real fantasy factor for the majority of that time. I just don't see the improvement coming in his game from anywhere. Let's get on to the tackle box. Before we do that, I need to have a drink because my voice is breaking up. Much better. The tackle box, John Lua. 75 games, 26 minutes a game, 10 points, 0.73s, 5.5 boards, less than half a steal, less than half a block, 48 from the field, 87 from the line, and a putrid 29 from three. That enabled him to have a true shooting of 55% due to the high field goal and free throw, but that three-point percentage for a guy who's supposed to come in and play as a stretch four is obviously not great. He was the 165th-ranked player, as I, as I mentioned, for the year. But his head-to-head ranks, is a, it's a real stark split. 126th pre-All-Star, 308th post-All-Star, as he did fall into, I guess, um, mediocrity in that second half of the season as he realized that, you know what, he's not that good. He averaged just eight points on 41% shooting. Compare that to his season-long number of 48%, and which one is the is the correct tackle box? I'd have to say the highest shooting one is 48 this year, 48 the year before, 44 the year before that, 49 the year before that. So we've had three out of his last four seasons of 48 and over field goal percentage. So I'm not really bothered by the fact that he shot so poorly post-All-Star. His three-pointers were dreadful, 22% after the All-Star break. That's horrible. And in fact, in his last eight games, he was 10% from three. Couldn't hit shit in that time. Really was bad. And at this point, I think we should be aware that he's just not good. He's fine as a serviceable backup, but trying to shoehorn him in to become a starter on this team, it wasn't a successful move, I didn't think. Now, the team was basically about even with him on or off the court, and that's better than some of those other guys. But when Toby Harris is like two and a half points better than him, that's where those minutes should have been going, in my opinion. As for fantasy value, Lua... I think we'll probably see a dip in his value this season. And if he finishes outside the top 200, I wouldn't be surprised. 26 minutes a game um, for him. I, I expect that to come down next year as maybe a 22 or 23 minute a game guy. Again, some of that depends on Henry Allenson's development as well. I just don't have uh, any real excitement for Lua as a player or for a, as a fantasy asset. Ish Smith, big, uh, big year for Ish. 81 games, 24 minutes, 9.5 points, 3 boards, but it's the 5.2 assists, it's the 0.8 steals, the half a block, and he was actually efficient, which is a big thing for Smith. 44 from the field, it's not, actually it's not efficient, he was not inefficient. 44 from the field, 71 from the line. It's still a true shooting of just 48%, and he hit only 27% of his three, so that's obviously not ideal, but his ability to get those assists and be a useful player for the Pistons was uh, was quite important. He had an average PR for the year. He provided really good defense at, at the point guard position, wasn't horrible offensively, and in the end, it was a pretty decent signing for this team who did need that backup and ended up starting the season, or starting at the beginning of the season and starting over Jackson at the end of the year. But I've been fairly vocal about this. He's not a starting point guard. He is not the player to bring Detroit back to any level of playoff competitiveness. He's not that guy. If they are going to do that, it is going to be Reggie Jackson. So Smith needs to be in his role and which is playing 20 minutes a night, and Jackson and Smith play together a little bit. I can see that. Now, Smith has his value. We talk about a guy like Marcus Morris, who was 156th ranked, or Smith, who was 171st. I would rather have Smith in 12-team leagues over Morris, no doubt about that, regardless of that 15-spot difference in overall rankings between the two players, and that's because Smith excels in one area, and that is his assist rate. Yeah, five point two assists is super valuable. Add that to a steal a game, they're numbers that you can use if you're looking for those assists. Whereas Morris provides nothing along those lines. I don't think that Smith is going to be that guy that I would look to draft next year by by any stretch. Unless it's get down to my last pick and go, man, I just really need some assists. Let's add Smith because he'll be able to give me four a game even in a 20-minute role, even as the backup. And then if Jackson, for some reason, still isn't right or has just forgotten how to play NBA basketball and Smith starts, you're going to get six, seven assists a game from him. One thing you do have to be careful with is how do the percentages hold? Can he keep them at a relatively acceptable level? Because he had been a guy previously that was just horrendous in both field goals and free throw percentage, the old uh, Tony Roden special. 
He'd been bad in both those areas, but he got it up to being uh, respectable. You're never going to get big points. You're never going to get huge. You're never going to get really any three pointers. It's going to come from assists, from steals, and from solid rebounding numbers from Ish Smith. And he was impressive this season, but his uh, his future's not bright. It's not. He's not. Um, he's not being better than this. He's not you know, pushing into being a permanent starter. He's 28 years of age as well. This is sort of where he is, and I'd expect a marginal dip because I don't expect to have an unhealthy Reggie Jackson this season. Um, Where are we? Now my screen has disappeared. That's always awesome. Um, Let's go on to Bobar Majanovic. Only the... Only the um, if my screen would come up, I would uh, give you that. Just uh, give me a sec, guys, while I uh, while I bring back my stat numbers because they all disappeared, which is never never what you want at the uh, when you're talking about these numbers. All right, we're back. Let's let, let's let's talk Aaron Baines. He's next on the list, and this is a big drop off between Smith and Baines. Bainesy was the 283rd ranked player for the uh, 75th. 75 games, 16 minutes, 5 points, 4.5 boards, half a block, 51 and 84. So super efficient uh, was Aaron Baines. While Andre Drummond was a negative 12 in on-off, Aaron Baines led the team at positive 11.2. Now, obviously, some of that goes with the fact that the on-off is to do with you know who's playing and who's not playing. So when Drummond struggled, Baines just had to come on and be average, and his on-off would look better because of the, the struggles that Drummond had. So it's not that he was that much better than him, but he still had a, a positive eight in his uh, in his net rating, which was obviously huge. And Drummond was just a positive five in overall net rating. So that was a that was a real positive for Baines. We've seen over the past for his time in San Antonio, his time in Detroit, when he starts. He is like, here's a guy you add. If Drummond has to miss a, miss a game and Bain starts, you add him because he will give you good percentages. He will give you a double double and he might block you a shot or two. And that can be useful for a very short term, but he's not good enough to be a starter on any team. He's in no danger of taking this job over from Drummond if he does opt into his player option. He is 30 years of age. I think he'd be looking for a two or three year deal somewhere else. And he's just going to slot into a backup role and he's going to be a name that you need to look at for your 30 team leagues. 20 team leagues, maybe. And as soon as the guy in front of him goes down, you add him and you get solid production. That's just what Aaron Baines does. Beno Udry played 39 games, 14 and a half minutes, six points, three and a half assists, no blocks, 0.3 steals, 47 and 91. So elite efficiency there from Udry. He was the third point guard, obviously played as the backup point guard while Jackson was out and was a player who was giving you really, really good assist numbers. When Reggie came back, he was just a DNP CD. He is unrestricted, Benno. I don't know whether he actually finds himself uh, on an NBA team next season. He's 34 years of age, but he's had some decent moments this year and last year with Miami. When forced into that role, he is fine and he can be productive and he can be a stream option for assists. But at 34 years of age, as a third string point guard, if Benno is not in the NBA next season to begin the year, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be stunned or surprised at all. Let's talk Boban. 34 games for the year, nine minutes, five and a half points, four boards, half a block, 55, 81 as his percentages, the true shooting of 61. These are elite type per 36 numbers for Majanovic. We know that about him. That was the same in, uh, in San Antonio. He had a, an on off of positive 5.6 and he was the 18th ranked player in head to head per 36 ranks. That's the best on this team. Obviously, Drummond was 36 in that category, and they're the only two Pistons players who were top 100 in that per 36 category. If Boban was starting, you would be owning him, owning him everywhere. I have almost no doubt that he will be a 20-minute a game or yeah, around an 18 to 20-minute a game guy, and in 14-team leagues, I think that will actually be useful because in that time he could average nine and seven and get you a block a game with good percentages. And that could be useful at certain times. It's going to be useful in 12 team leagues. And if Drummond goes down and he has to start, then yeah, <laughs> buckle your seatbelts up because he is going to put up big numbers. Can he play big minutes for consistent for a consistent period of time? I'm not sure. He's older than you probably expect. Given he's only been in the NBA two years, he is 28 years of age. He does have fitness issues. He's obviously massive and big and it does struggle to get up the court at times. But in terms of fantasy numbers, when the minutes are there, the stats are coming. We've got two full years. Well, not full years because he doesn't play every game. 
But two years of statistics to show us this. He can be a dominantly efficient offensive player. We saw some of his explosions in the D-League and at NBA level as well. He's a, a guy to watch that is now going to be a real 16-team target, maybe 14-team, and someone that you... If you get the alert that Andre Drummond is injured, you grab Boban and you grab him absolutely immediately next season. As for where he goes upside-wise, he's 28. So how much better does he actually get? I think what we see is what we get from Marjanovic. It's also it's all just going to be what sort of playing time does he get? How does that playing time move up? And I am almost certain that he will be getting that next season. Even if Baines opts in, I wouldn't be shocked to see Boban move into that backup center role and uh, and play more minutes. Although for as much, and everyone says, oh, why is Boban not playing? Why is Baines playing? Baines is actually quite effective and that's why. And we've seen that through numerous things we've met, we've mentioned today. And not that Boban's not, but Baines is quite solid in that role. But I would expect Majanovic to move into that backup role, to move into an 18-minute to a 20-minute a game role, and to be able to really, really smash through, I think, that top uh, top 200 rank in fantasy and have stretches of time where he is a top 150 guy. So he is definitely an exciting player to look for in deeper dynasty leagues because this is the moment that you've been waiting for for the last couple of years for him to step forward and become a, a more regular contributor and a, a contributor in more minutes. Reggie Bullock, who is a restricted free agent, 31 games for him, battled knee problems lots of the year, 15 minutes a game, four and a half points, two rebounds. He hit a three a game, and he did that at 38%, and that's where his strength lies. He also got 0.6 steals, so he's like a um, a poor man's KCP, except he can actually hit shots at a decent rate. Will he get attended with that qualifying offer? Will he find himself in the NBA? I don't know. He's not. He's not a young player. He's been around a while. He's 25 years of age, never really stuck. And every opportunity he had in Detroit seemed to be derailed by injuries. But advanced numbers, he looked pretty good. Defensively, solid. Offensively, pretty solid. Above average win shares. A decent true shooting of 54%. He, he was okay. And if Detroit decides not to bring him back, I would definitely be looking at, you know, assuming his knees in that checkout, I would bring him in and just say, look, you can be a fifth guard and let's see how you work up. But I've been relatively impressed with what I've seen from Bullock. He's just never been able to stay healthy. The problem is he is 25, so how much further does he have to grow? Um, he is just a, a very deeper league sort of guy. The player who finished below him in the rankings at number 325, Stan Johnson. It was a horrendous season from Stanley Johnson. 77 games, but only 18 minutes, four and a half points, two and a half boards, half a three, 0.7 steals, and shot only 35% from the field, 68% from the uh, line, and 29% from three for a brutal true shooting of just 44%. It was not great. It was a dip. Now, he shot 46% true shooting as a rookie, which is bad, and somehow got worse. His per 36 numbers, his points went from 12.7 to 8.9 per 36. Horrendous. Rebounding rate dropped. The good thing we can say is he doubled his blocks, he increased his assists marginally, and he increased his steals. But that efficiency, that scoring, the rebounding, the free throws dropped from 78 to 68. That's a 10% dip. And that's one of those things I talked about yesterday of these players just having these inexplicable 10% drops in their free throw percentage. Pau Gasol, Drew Holiday, just weird stuff. And Stan Johnson's one of those guys there. And his advanced numbers were just disgusting. 7.2 PER, the, the disgustingly bad true shooting at 43%. Um, negative 3.8 offensive box score plus minus is really bad, but... A 1.8 defensive box score plus minus was second on this team. He had a very good defensive rating, which we talked about earlier, 107, which was the top four on the team. He also had an inexplicably bad offensive rating of 88. That is disgusting. That's even worse than, say, Brandon Ingram, which we talked about on the Lakers Lakers team. The only players on this team worse than that were Hilliard, Allenson, and Binajay. So two rookies and a, and a guy, Hilliard, who played just the 39 games. I still have faith in Stan Johnson. I still think that Marcus Morris is not that good and that Johnson needs to push forward this season and take that role off him. It was obviously a big step backwards. You can acquire Stan Johnson at a much cheaper rate now in dynasty leagues based on last season. Some of that should be, um, yeah, some of that is on Van Gundy as well. I didn't like the way that he handled him, but even say that the, the, um, second half of the year where Johnson did start to get more minutes, he played 20 minutes a game after the All-Star break, still shot 29.9%, five points, three rebounds, 
And some of this was foretold by his you know, horrendous performance in Summer League, but that was, oh, he's playing a different role. We're trying to use him differently. And does this come back to Van Gundy doing the same thing with Drummond? Oh, we're going to try and make you do this. Even though you're not good at it and you're not showing any signs of improvement, we're going to continue to force you to do this. Is that what's happened with Johnson, pushing him into a different role, taking more shots, being a more primary ball handler? I don't know. And if we're going to go by Van Gundy's history, he'll persist with shit that doesn't work for three years, at least, with Drummond. So that that's the concern. Defensively, it's good stuff from Johnson. Yeah, really, really solid perimeter defense, and that keeps him in the rotation for most of the time. He was out at, at one point, but he gets good steals. He can be a three-assist game guy, and he can be a 12-13 point guy. I don't think he's really going to, you know, challenge for the top 150 or top 120 this year, but I think that he, he should find himself at least getting inside that top 300 where he wasn't last year and probably push towards the top 220 or top 200. So that opens him up for some of those deeper leagues. And if there was a player who was going to take a massive jump out of nowhere, he would be the guy that I would anticipate would do it. That he really takes a step forward. He takes that job off, say, Lua. Or, uh, or Morris or, you know, taking some of those minutes away from those guys, plays 27 minutes a game, gets the shooting up to 45%, gets his free throws back, you know, knocks in one and a half threes, gets one and a half steals, averages 12 and seven or 12 and six with, uh, with three assists. I, th- I think that's totally within Johnson's grasp. So he's a guy to watch really carefully, see whether he plays summer league, see what happens over preseason, see how Van Gundy uses that. And in the first two games, if he starts getting the minutes and putting up numbers, I'm all in on it. I'm obviously just a little bit cautious given some of the, uh, some of the garbage we've seen from him, uh, over the course of the season. It was not good. The last three players, Darren Hilliard, 39 games, 10 minutes, three points, and then a whole bunch of everything under one, which is really bad. 0.8 rebounds, 0.9 assists, 0.3 steals, 37 and 75 for a true shooting of 46. I thought Hilliard showed, a little bit. He started one game. I thought he looked decent, but to me, he, he's probably a little bit behind Bullock. Now, whether they keep Hilliard over Bullock um, remains to be seen. Hilliard is 23. Even the fact that he's only been in the league a couple of years, he still he still is uh, 23 years of age, two years younger than Bullock, and he is that non-guaranteed deal for next season. He is obviously just a real deeper league guy, but impressively, and I didn't talk about this with Bullock either. Bullock was a plus 7.6. Stan Johnson was a plus 3.2, and Hilliard was a plus 4.3. A lot of that's to do with how badly some of those starters sucked, like KCP and Jackson and Morris and Drummond in those uh, on-off numbers. But but those guys did hold their own when they got onto the court. Hilliard is really just a deeper league guy, and I would never expect him to develop into a starter. Mike Binaget, rookie. Um... Second round draft choice out of Syracuse, nine games only, battled a broken foot for big portions of the season, only three and a half minutes. We didn't get to see anything of him. 10% from the field, true shooting of 18%. We saw nothing. But he is a guy that can handle the ball, and this team is crying out for a secondary ball handler. He is not going to, let's say KCP walks, Binaget is not going to come in and start. But if Hilliard, if Bullock both go, he could definitely move into that role and play as the backup too, and find himself with 15 minutes a night, and that would that would push him maybe to top 250 area. He was the 459th ranked player. That's almost the absolute worst player in the NBA. There's a long way to go. Do they bring him back? I would say yes, especially for his ball handling, but should you care for fantasy, just be aware of how to say his name. That, that's about it, and keep it in the back of your head just in case um, some minutes do open up there because his ability to get those assists is not easy to get, and if you know, a, a weird confluence of events goes down, you might be able to get a situation where he gives you three assists a game. It's a very, very long way to go, though. As their first-round draft choice, Henry Allenson, only 19 games, 7.7 minutes, 3 points, 2.2 rebounds, half a three. He, uh, As I said, he shot horribly on threes in the corner, just 29% overall and 36% on his field goal attempts for the for the year, he wasn't good. We saw you know, him barely play with Harrison, uh, the tackle box ahead of him. But I thought that he he showed a little bit down the stretch. In the last four games of the season, we got more minutes out of Allenson. He had a fifteen and eleven double double in his first start. The second game, nine and nine with three threes. The next game after that was another start, not as good, three and three, and then twelve and six in the last game of the season. But stepped it up. 
showed that when he's given the extra responsibility, he's not going to necessarily shy away from it. I thought that that was an encouraging sign and you know, I wouldn't be writing him off just yet. The team was 1.8 points per 100 possessions better off with him. He's got a chance to break the top 300 next season. I think we'll see him not playing 19 games, but moving in. And you know, if everything goes as the Pistons would hope it would go, that he could challenge uh, Lua for that role. I don't think that that will happen this season. I think that's more likely to happen the year after. But the last four games give a give us... Uh, a level of hope with Allenson that we didn't have for all of the seasons, an ability to, to grab some boards and hit some threes. I don't think he's ever going to be a spectacularly good fantasy player. I don't think he'll ever be a top 50 guy. And he'll probably never be a top 100 guy, but there is a level of hope there with Allenson that like Johnson, you might be able to get him at, at a cheaper rate in dynasty leagues. They've got to be pretty deep at this point and, and hope that he can uh, turn that around. But you're probably looking at two years' time for Allenson, at least, I would say, before he has any sort of level of impact, if at all. So it, w- it was a positive to way he, the way he ended the season, but definitely nothing for us to get uh, get overly um, overly excited about. But something, at least something for the Pistons fans to hang their hats on. Questions. A.G., is there any sort of trade market for Drummond and what should Detroit be looking to get back? I think that you can get trade markets for, for anybody. And I, I don't think that Drummond is considered a, a bad asset on his contract. I think that they could get something back. I don't know why they would, to be honest. Like, why, why would you go and trade him at this point? It was a down year. We talked about all of that, but I don't think that they should be looking to, to deal with him. I'm sure you could get a first-round pick back for Drummond, no problem. Now, whether that pick is in the top 15 or top 25 would remain to be seen, but you wouldn't want to trade him for anything outside that top 12, I wouldn't have thought, and I just don't see anything like that uh, Anything like that actually happening. Kyle Norb, Henry Allenson, should we be concerned about his first year? How does he project? How does he not get more minutes on a terrible team? Well, they weren't that bad. We're not talking about yeah, a, a team that was Brooklyn. We're not talking about Philadelphia. They were... In that playoff discussion for big chunks of the year, there were two players ahead of him, one who they just signed as a free agent. <clears throat> I just talked about Allenson. Then, yeah, I don't think you should be th- having high hopes for him, but I don't think it's as bad as what you're uh, you're making out. Will Stan Van Gundy get out of his own way? Yeah, not not sure about that. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, RP, what do you think they'll do in the draft? I think they look for a wing player. Trade or draft and stash? Well, there's a rumor coming out they're looking to trade for a win-now veteran. I I don't know why. I think you want to get some sort of uh, talent in there. I guess it depends on what sort of win-now veteran you're you're looking to get. I don't think they'll be... I don't think they'll be drafting and stashing. I think they'll be just drafting and getting a guy in to play play on the wing. Kevin Carlson, what do you think KCP's ceiling is as a fantasy player? It pretty much is what it is, unless he can can improve those assists and that field goal percentage. I don't think he's ever going to be a top 50 guy. His ceiling is probably top 80. He's pretty much, he's pretty much right there. Muhammad, are you high on Boban next year if Baines leaves? Yeah, as I talked about, I think that he can be an impactful guy and be a top 200 guy and maybe even a top 150 player in 18 minutes, in, in limited minutes. Think the way that uh, Kylo Quinn was able to do it this season. That's the sort of thing you should be looking for with Boban if he gets 20 minutes a game. Royan says, do you believe this was Stan Van Gundy's worst coaching season it was pretty close to it. He made some curiously bad decisions. I thought he was visibly frustrated at times with his team. Some of it's on him, some of it's on the players, but it wasn't a great, uh, great season for Van Gundy. David Laliberte, is there any hope for Boban to get regular rotation minutes next season? Yes, as we mentioned, I'm pretty sure he will. Callus James, would you make any trades if you were Van Gundy? I'm or I'm I'm always trade averse. I'm always a little bit cautious with making any trades. So you always you always check it out and depending on what comes out there, but I would probably be more fielding offers rather than going out there and aggressively trying to get my guys uh, to get rid of my guys. Is Drummond good enough to be a franchise player? No, I don't think he's that sort of a player. He's good. He's he's you know, good enough to be a, a long-term starter but not a franchise player. I think the Pistons should trade Reggie and trade up in the draft to get one of these young point guards in the top 10. Thoughts? The absolute worst time to trade Reggie Jackson, a guy that had knee problems that delayed the start of his season and then ended his season prematurely. And then in the middle, he was bad. So it's the absolute worst time to trade him. He's on a contract that looks looks bad if those knee injuries never go away. So what sort of value are you going to get back? Are you going to be able to trade Reggie Jackson in pick 12 to the Knicks to get pick eight? Maybe. And then what do you get? Frank Nilakina, who you don't 
know what he's actually going to be. Will he ever become as good as what Reggie Jackson currently is? I think that Pistons fans really jumped on what Jackson did last season and they were quick to really criticize him. And I think that was a bit harsh. So I don't think they should be looking to trade him. They're going to get very limited value back. And I am expecting a bounce back from Reggie Jackson next season. All right, we're done for today's show. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, and on TuneIn. Make sure you never miss an episode that way. And if you like the show, leave a review and a rating. Five stars would be great. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Andre Drummond. You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10-2 to 10-10. Select styles only.